0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This was the first day of extended interaction between our offense and defense. It resulted in, you know, I, I think uh, probably some just really obvious give and take. It was good for us, too. It was a little bit hot. But we're not out there over long time. And But I thought it was overall it was a, it was a good start in full gear. You know, I think you have to have a good
1: menu for each guy. You have to make sure we have plays that we say we got to get Seath in the ball and this is how we're gonna get it to him. Same with Brandon, same with Zo. you got Stan in there, you know the backs. Um,
0: I think that's a good problem so I just think it's being organized uh, making sure you have a, a good menu for each player. You know I think that uh, it, it was all frankly a little bit rusty for everybody route running. You know we've been, we've been doing a lot of Putting in plays, and and uh, all of a sudden, when you're doing it against people that are trying to stop it, things change here, and that's what happened today. We'll be we'll be better than that tomorrow.
2: Fall camp well underway here. Welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washat You just heard Mike Riley, head coach of Nebraska, and offensive coordinator Danny Langstorf kind of given their early takes here on this first week of fall camp. And it's no doubt looked like a first week. I mean, it hasn't obviously been uh, Nebraska's ready to play Oregon here in this opening week at camp. And, um, you know, I think there were some people in the media, uh, we get the privilege of getting to watch practice um, at least once, twice a week. and. Um, you're going to see some interceptions. You're going to see a few mistakes. And um, I feel like some people might really overblow some of that um, because it's practice. I mean, you have to take it for what it is. Yes. Tommy Armstrong threw two picks in seven on seven, but that's not the end of the world. I guarantee you Deshaun Watson threw two picks or a pick in in seven on seven. I mean, it just happens uh, even to the best of them. You're going to see it. It's practice. You're going to get better. And, uh, I don't know why, Rob, but it, it, sometimes I just feel like people might overreact. Yes, it is maybe a concern, but by no means should should you just start hitting the panic button after a couple picks and seven on seven.
3: I don't think it's a matter of people might overreact. It I think it's they always overact. Every single fall we talk about the same stuff. You know, people put so much stock into these little glimpses of practice that they're able to see. And if something you know particularly good happens, well, this player is going to be you know a Heisman Trophy candidate. If something bad happens, he's the worst player. Forever. And that was the case with, unfortunately, Tommy Armstrong. He had a couple, you know, tough passes that, um, you know, obviously were spotlighted because, you know, that's what people saw. It was the first time in full pads that we got to see Tommy throw. And, um, you know, he, he had one interception that got, you know, completely blown up Was Mike Riley was asked about it directly uh, after practice. And Mike Riley, Danny Langsdorf and any other player you're going to talk to is going to tell you the same thing. It's one practice. It's the first full padded practice of the fall. There are going to be mistakes. Let's not make too much of this and uh, I think that's how uh, as much as people want to like try and get these you know season defining hot takes, hot takes uh, based off one practice you bone lines are open. you, you got to take everything with a grain of salt and uh, I mean there's a lot of different factors for one, it's your first fall practice fall full pad practice a fall say and that seven times yeah past. yeah <laughs> Sorry. and uh you know there's there's obviously some transition that goes with that you have a defense out there that's trying to prevent you from completing passes instead of throwing against air uh your receivers might not run the right route which i think in my opinion was the case on that one interception that got all the talk on tuesday so there are a lot of different things that go into this stuff and you got to take everything with a grain of salt and not overreact to you know one end of the spectrum or the other
2: well nate it's as easy to do it i think because of the numbers tommy armstrong put up in interceptions i mean naturally when you led the nation in interceptions for power five quarterbacks or whatever the statistic was i mean it's just an easy thing to say when you see one right away in a seven on seven drill
1: yeah it's real easy to say oh boy nothing's changed it's the same old tommy plus you know unless you have the practice script and you know exactly what play they're running these those bad plays where there are interceptions um, are going to stand out uh, to the media, and and without knowing exactly what everyone's supposed to be doing on each and every single play, unfortunately, you know there are you know some hot takes that can be kind of formed right off the bat in a negative way. But there were also some good passes that Tommy made during that seven on seven session. So, um, and this is the, only the second practice that we've been able to watch. So it's far from being a finished product. The the Offense is always kind of behind the defense at this point in fall camp. It, I just, I just don't think that it's anything to to really make a big fuss about. But unfortunately, um, you know, that was, I guess, kind of the the story heading out of that second uh, second practice that the media was able to watch. You're
2: listening here to the Husker Online Show: Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we discuss this opening week of fall camp as Nebraska well into things now and full pads. Um, really, not a lot of contact. I think the other concerning thing, though, I mean, we're talking about Tommy, but, I mean, the receivers dropped a lot of passes, mm-hmm. too, and we know that that that's that's not going to happen during the season, but they weren't on their game as well. I mean, it, it just was one of those days in, in general, Robin, where the, the, the full padded workout we got to see just wasn't a good day, really, for the entire offense in a lot of respects.
3: Yeah, and Nate made a good point. I mean, you would expect your defense to have a better day in your first live session than your offense. If it works the other way around – then you got some issues. You remember last fall, all the talk was how good the passing game looked, how sharp Tommy Armstrong was, how good the receivers looked, and Nebraska's pass defense ended up being one of the worst in the country. So uh, you can look at it two different ways, uh, that the defense should be significantly improved, especially that secondary that is making life difficult for you know an offense, you know trying to get on the same page and get that chemistry back from where they were in the spring.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we uh, discuss this opening week here of fall camp for Nebraska. Nate, the other thing that, that's really jumped out to me about just as you look at the big picture is is the structure of practice and, and the, the little amount of hitting, the length of practices. I mean, you and I have been around since the Solich, the Pellini, and obviously the uh, Callahan camps, and it's really gone full circle I can remember my early years, I mean, it was obviously two days every day, Monday through Friday, with a Saturday scrimmage. And that was the same schedule that was run at Nebraska from probably the 60s all the way up until uh, 2004. You know? and, and now it's so much different with what the restrictions are. But uh, the hitting and the contact and the physicality, um, they, it's totally scaled back um, as much as I really ever can remember.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it, I, and I know that with the the injuries that kind of happened, and, and some of the the lack of depth, especially last year, you know that's something that Mike Riley and his staff really wanted to um, to kind of limit, and they've done so once again this fall. You know, they have worked on tackling. I know that's one thing that people always kind of wring their hands about is boy if they're not hitting in practice how the heck can they tackle on Saturdays well they they do have a tackling uh period where they each each individual position works on the new rugby style type of tackling that they're doing now but uh but the the days of just lining up and, and banging heads for two hours. I mean, that's, those days are over and, um, and it makes sense. Uh, you, you need to keep guys fresh, especially headed into an important season where maybe, you know, the depth is obviously improved on this team, but it's still not a hundred percent to where, uh, Mike Riley and these, this coaching staff would like it to be, but, um, You know, it's just the way of college football nowadays.
2: And maybe I'm way off base here, guys, but Billy Devaney with his NFL background and and structure, you know, just coming right from the league, maybe he's influenced Mike Riley a little bit, how they've restructured things because it started in the spring. I mean, the spring was maybe as little of a contact. uh, There was one scrimmage, one live scrimmage in the spring Uh, They didn't have those traditional – I remember Bill Callahan had a 180-play full padded scrimmage that lasted like three and a half hours. (laughs) The starting quarterback, Zach Taylor, was sacked eight times to the ground. Um, You know, we didn't see that in the spring. And I I, I just wonder, Robin, if Devaney had any influence – Uh, maybe on just some of the things they're doing as he talks to Mike Riley behind the scenes.
3: I'm sure. I mean, you look at the way NFL teams are holding their camps right now. I mean, they're not even tackling. They have those big foam donuts now that they're tackling instead of each other. And uh, like Nate said, I think it's just the way of football. And um, I also wonder how much last year's rash of injuries in camp uh, impact how this staff is handling. I mean, remember that laundry list of soft tissue injuries was a really big concern. So um,
2: maybe it's just another step in trying to avoid that. All right, well, when we come back on the show, we're going to continue to talk fall camp. We're going to talk offensive storylines here from the first week. Then we're going to move over to the defensive storylines. Then Tim Miles hosted an uh, elite basketball camp. Robin Washat was one of the few people there covering that event. He'll give us some insight on a few names to watch, including some in-state talent uh, to keep your eyes on. And then, obviously, we will close with the recruiting as Nebraska will have a big-time visitor this weekend. Five-star wide receiver Joseph Lewis. All of that's next here. You're listening to Husker Online.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: The Big Ten, I think, is, you know, they pride themselves more on base defense, being physical, that kind of stuff. We're in the Pac-12, there's a lot of exotic pressures and all kinds of stuff. Not that you don't see some pressure here, you know. You know, obviously, all the media. It's a big thing, and I just think the pride that people take in the offensive line here is awesome, you know what I mean? And I'm just happy to be a part of it, and hopefully I could help develop that.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh talking about the adjustment of going from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten and kind of what his thoughts were in year one. Sean Callahan here with Nate Klaus and Robin Washhead. and I think when you look at this offensive line, there are so many – you know, new parts in play here with Gerald Foster at left guard, Tanner Farmer at right guard, even Dylan Utter moving now to center, and then the big one, David Neville at right tackle. But there's still, Robin, I think, remains a high level of optimism um, about this group. I mean, I, they haven't played a lot of football, they're not proven, but I think there's just, you look at what these guys were as recruits and who recruited them, and, and the development they've made. Um, all those things I think have added up, where people are just optimistic that this group has some potential.
3: Yeah, and potential is the key word there. Yes, they're completely inexperienced and completely reshuffled from the group that they had a year ago. But uh, just from a talent standpoint, and you know, from a recruiting pedigree to uh, what they've shown in their first you know few years here on campus. Uh, there's a reason people are so excited uh, about what this group could be and the fact that uh, a good portion of them are going to be together for the next two, maybe three years. Um, so, I mean, that 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 type of cohesiveness adds even more value uh, to, to what this group could become. And uh, the one guy that we talked to on Tuesday, uh, Gerald Foster, I continue to be more and more impressed with him, not only as a player, but as a guy in the locker room, a, a leader. You know, I mean, he, he's a guy that's um, not afraid to, to say, um, you know, things that a leader of your football team should say and I think that he's well on his way to becoming uh, you know a a future you know fixture uh, as one of the leader uh, on the entire offense not only offensive line and potentially I wouldn't be surprised one bit if he's in position to maybe be a captain down the road by the time he's done here
1: you know one thing that really stands out to me about this group is is the attitude that these guys have you know pretty much across the board they're all no-nonsense you know, mean, nasty guys. They like to get after it on the football field. They're the types of guys that probably, you know, that you would say block through the whistle and, and instead of block to the whistle. Uh, you know, especially that left side with Nick Gates and Gerald Foster. Uh, we know that uh, Dylan Utter likes to mix it up every now and then. And Tanner Farmer, I think the one question maybe it was David Neville, but he, he's he a got, guy who got into a fight. Yeah, you know? he got nasty the <laughs> yeah, other day. So, it, which I think is a good sign. And, and from day one, that's something that Mike Cavanaugh has been saying is that I want my guys to be mean and nasty up front. I want them to play with an attitude and with an edge. And, and that was something I think was really lacking last year out of this group, but has completely changed and turned around this year.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washit, as we talk on that offensive line and in the offense in general. But, yeah, you met, we talked David Neville. I, I asked Mike Cavanaugh this, and he agreed. I mean, he said that this he is really the key to the whole thing, the stability that they can get from right tackle. We know Cavanaugh is not a big substitute guy, so um, it's all or nothing with David Neville. I, I just don't see a backup that's going to step in, and it, nobody really just, you know, wows me at this point. Uh, Matt Farniak down the road I think could be that guy. I mean, hopefully you redshirt him, though, kind of like Nick Gates. And then he's a three- to four-year starter in this program down the road someday. Uh, but, I, I, you know, Neville to me is so important. I'm not worried about Farmer. I'm not worried about Foster, Utter, Gates. But I, Neville's the one that I still – you know, I know opposing defenses are going to load that side up. They're going to go after him early and see how he responds.
3: Yeah, and that's like you said, going to be the key. And he's the guy that you'd want walking off the bus first uh, over any player. I mean, the biggest dude on the team. But does he have the, you know the the other aspects of what it takes to be you know a, a lockdown? college right tackle and I think that you know so far yeah he, he's looked pretty good uh, you know Mike Kavanaugh mentioned how much uh, improvements he's made in the weight room especially with his upper body strength and his shoulders I think that will lend itself to uh, being able to handle himself much better uh, against those physical defensive ends I'm still curious to see how he's able to handle, you know, those speed rushers, Um, you know, especially early on in non-conference play. uh, That could be uh, something that, you know, maybe he still has issues with and they have to keep an extra blocker in uh, to give him some help. But uh, I do think, you know, we talk about potential. David Neville has it all. I mean, if he can, you know, put uh, that frame and all those measurables and translate it into uh, production on the field, Nebraska's got itself a pretty darn good, um, you know, cornerstone on the right side for the next two years.
2: I wanted to shift over now here as we, we discuss offensive storylines, Nate, um, to freshmen that, that could potentially see the field. And I want to go to one name. Um, Darian Grimm, nicknamed Cherry, was here early for spring ball. He looked good in the spring. He's looked good physically early on. I really think, Nate, even though how loaded Nebraska is at wide receiver, I mean, if it were today, I think he burns the red shirt and plays because they see something in this kid uh, that they're going to need in 2017 and beyond.
1: Uh, absolutely, I, I'd agree with that. He's not a kid that, that looks like a freshman. Like you said, he, he got here early, was able to go through spring uh, spring practice. He's got a good understanding of, of the offense and everything, how everything works. Plus, just physically, he does not look like an incoming freshman. Um, you know, and, and you look, you talk about having a rotation of probably eight guys at that wide receiver spot, and traveling eight or nine guys total. And and I think that he's without a doubt probably you know right it right in that eight eight or nine grouping, maybe or, even seven. Yeah, it might even be you know that seventh guy. So I think for sure he's going to be a guy that gets an opportunity to play this fall. Um, you know, on offense, and, and he could be a guy that, that impacts special teams in some sort of role. Um, you know, and not necessarily as a returner, but, you know, could have. Could have a role somewhere on special teams too, because just because he's an athletic guy, he understand understands the game of football. So I think for sure he, he's you could probably pencil him in as a kid. Um, you know, one of those true freshmen that's going to see some time this fall. Well, yeah, let's look
2: at it right now. I mean, you have Alonzo Moore, Brandon Riley, Jordan Wester Camp, DeMornay, Pearson. That's four. Stanley Morgan's five. Zach Darlington will be the holder. He's six. Um, you know, then then you get down to Brian Reimers. He's seven. He'll travel this yeah, year. He'll travel. Um, th- then I think it gets down to. Darian Grimm, LeVan Alston, you know, and, and, you know, how many of those guys you want to take or a Gabe Ron, a walk-on receiver from Iowa, who's a solid walk-on for special teams too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I do think you're right. When you look at the numbers right now, he probably falls between seven or eight in the pecking order after that top group. I'd probably say Reimers with his body type might be ahead of him just because he can do some bigger things with his body, but he's right there um, after that, after that group of veterans and Nebraska needs to get him ready for the future.
3: Well, and you also keep in mind, I mean, that receiving core, like it or not, has a history of guys missing games, missing time, you know, whether it be one game or a handful of games with to soft tissue injuries. And so he's going to have to be ready because chances are uh, Nebraska is going to be in a position where guys further down that depth chart are going to get elevated, uh, you know, just by default uh, with the numbers with injuries.
2: As we wrap up this offensive storyline discussion here on the Oscar Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Wachett, Nate Klaus, um, let's look at running backs. And, you know, what, what have we seen there? I, I think Robin... Um, Danny Langsdorff kind of tipped his hand a little bit about their excitement level with the Vino Zigbo, but Terrell Newby has looked as good as he's ever looked. Um, I, Mikkel Wilbon, it's hard to get a read on him right now. Mm-hmm. I've heard promising things about Trey Bryant, though, in camp. People like where he's at mentally, which that's about as more, as important as physical right now.
3: Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with that, because on one hand, you got Mike Riley talking about how much they like Trey Bryant and um, you know, how he could potentially be a factor in that rotation. Then you have Danny Langsdorf come out and say, uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, he's got a lot of competition ahead of him. Um, you know, I think as they start incorporating more and more of uh, the passing game, you know, both as receivers and more importantly, as pass blockers, uh, Danny Langsdorf hinted that things might shake themselves out a little bit more from where they are right now. But I think where it stands right now, you can pretty much bank on Terrell Newby and Divina Zigbo getting the lion's share of the workload in that running back rotation. But I do still think they're going to try and find ways to get Mikhail Wilbon involved, whether it just be specialty packages, um, utilizing his skills as a receiver in the screen game, uh, just because, I mean, you can't deny it. He's probably their most dynamic player in the open field with the ball in his hands. So uh, they would kind of, I think, be a little bit, um, you know, doing themselves a disservice if they don't, you know, try and get him more involved from, you know, the four you know, games of spot action he saw last
0: year.
1: Well, Danny Langsdorf mentioned that that menu, right? Kind of
3: that, that buffet
1: of, uh, of options that they want their guys to have. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think they f- try and find something for Mikhail Wilbon off that menu, you know, that he does really well and, um, you know, where they can dial up a play or a package or two um, each game and get him in there. But I think the key word of what you said, Robin, was pass protection. I think that's going to be – kind of the thing that separates these three running backs from one another, or four running backs from one another, and Divine of Zigbo was kind of talking about that a little bit after practice the other day, so that's one thing that he's really tried to focus on, because he knows if he can perfect his pass protection skills, then he is a, a three down back, and that gives him kind of a, a leg up on everybody else, so um, I'm really interested to see how that kind of shakes out here in the coming weeks.
2: Well, that will no doubt be one of the more interesting position battles, alright? When we come Back, we're gonna shift over to defensive storylines and some things we've seen here over this first week of fall camp. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska Athletics. I mean, obviously there's a ton of work been done in the training room
1: with I work specifically with Drew Hamill, one of the trainers here, and it was just a day-in, day out thing. I mean, it's been something I've been through before, so it wasn't too new to me. And then when spring came around, it was really good for me to kind of get the mental. Without the physical part to get most of the mental stuff down, so just try, kind of trying to eliminate any uh, buffering process when I got back. So it kind of felt good to get that mental part down in the spring. Well, I think you got to get a starting four first. I mean, you got to get your four starters, then you got to try to build some depth behind it so we can get guys off the field and, and rest them. So uh, you know, we're, we're at the point now where we're you know we're looking for guys that are going to step up here
0: this next week and you know these next week coming weeks.
2: And we'll go back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as you just heard from. Defensive tackle Mick Stoltenberg, the sophomore out of Gretna, coming off his second major knee injury since his senior year of high school. Uh, he's back at it, though, full throttle here as the Huskers are in uh, week one, going into week two of fall camp. Robin Washat and Nate Klaus, and you hear John Torella there, the defensive line coach, saying his goal right now is to find that starting four. And I think right now, Robin, three, not three, but Yeah, three of the four spots would be, I think, spoken for. Kevin Maurice, a defensive tackle. Um, Then you've got Freedom Akamaladoon. Um, at defensive end and Ross is the other defensive end. I, I think it's that other defensive tackle spot whether it's Mick Stoltenberg, Khalil Davis, maybe even a Carlos Davis. That's the one spot I th- I, st- I, I still think that remains open um, on that defensive line but the bottom line is they're going to need all of these guys to play. They, n- none of these guys are good enough to play and Dama can sue 90 snaps a game.
3: Yeah and even Malik Collins type of snaps. I mean there's no doubt about it. This is going to be a heavy rotation no matter where you are on the depth chart just because uh, like you said, you, you don't have that dominant presence in there. I mean, even Kevin Maurice is going to you know, be subbed out a lot. And that can be a good thing, too. I mean, what we talk about with this defensive line, yeah, they're inexperienced and young but they got a lot of young talent that I think is you know all well on its way to becoming uh, very good players down the road and you know what's the best way to learn you know throw out there and learn trial by fire so uh, i think that you know there's going to be a learning curve there with that group but i think in the end it's going to pay off with this end up being you know one of the deeper units down the road well and what's John Perello's kind of
1: motto is is all gas no brakes <laughs> so i mean if these guys if he can get these young guys playing you know, like their hair's on fire and going crazy and, and kind of settled into somewhat of a ro- nice little rotation to keep guys fresh, but, you know, having them play at a very high level, um, you know, going 100% each and every time, this could be kind of an exciting group to, to watch progress. You know, it, it's going to be
2: interesting
1: how that rotation works out, but there's no question they're, they're going to need pretty much all those bodies there to, to contribute in some form of fashion.
2: Well, Nate, as I look at it, though, my biggest worry, and I know you, we've talked, about this a lot is defensive end i I, we know deserves and freedom are going to be key parts but i just don't see that next guy right now i don't know who it would be like if you told me who's the next guy in and who's going to have the best season of the next defensive ends you tell me i have no idea well yeah
1: there's some guys that, that look the part you know i think alex davis deshaun neal both those guys really look the part but they haven't they haven't really shown a whole lot. I mean we haven't seen a whole lot. Yeah, you know, again, pump the brakes. We've only seen two practices here, so I don't want to call Let's them make any- all of our observations yeah. for yeah. the season off these two practices. Yeah, I don't want to be calling anyone out here, but someone's got to step up there. I think that's the bottom line is is they need a pass rush. Someone's got to step up and provide that. Mm-hmm. if at the very least it's one of those guys carving out a little niche, you know, as a situational pass rush guy or, or whatever the case
3: may be. Well I think you know, just from the a few practices we've been able to see one guy that the coaching staff wants to step up and be that guy is Cedric King I mean the time is now for this guy uh, you know he came in as a relatively high profile recruit and you know was going to kind of be that next guy in line in the defensive line rotation and we haven't seen anything from him yet but uh, he's right now I mean just from what we saw especially during Tuesday's practice he's the number two defensive end uh, behind uh rostezuras i think yeah so i mean he's going to be counted on to play early now can he you know meet the challenge and uh you know be able to be that guy the staff wants him to be we'll see but i think he's going to get plenty of opportunities early on to to establish himself as that guy
2: well that's the biggest difference with this staff maybe compared to the previous they will rotate and you know we saw last year BYU week one we're like, whoa, Freedom and, you know, Freedom and Ross Azuris were the twos behind Ganglis and McMullen, and they, they played a lot right out of the mm-hmm. gates. And Banker is a big believer in, in having two groups play, and it ended up helping them having those guys ready to go because, you know, in that previous system, Azuris doesn't see the field. Freedom's not even probably playing defensive end. Um, so they at least got guys ready. and you have to think that development and those snaps this year that these guys are going to get are going to be huge.
3: Yeah, and as Nate pointed out earlier, I think the John Perella factor is something you got to keep in mind here. I mean, that guy has already established yeah. himself as one of the best, Teachers, as far as getting guys to respond to what he wants them to do, uh, that we've seen. I mean, the Davis brothers last spring both mentioned that, uh, you know, they learned more in just that brief, you know, session of spring ball than they learned their entire register freshman year. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of in itself talks about how much of an improvement uh, as far as instruction these guys are getting under John Perella.
2: You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we talk defensive storylines of ball camp. Let's move to linebacker. And let's start with something here with an injury. Michael Rose-Ivy goes down with, we don't know the official, this is Thursday morning, we don't know what the official diagnosis is, but um, just not a good sign um, to have him go down already with what hopefully is nothing major. But knock on wood, guys, the durability, need of Michael Rose-Ivy and some of these key players that have been hurt for most of their career um, is such a big thing this year.
1: It is a huge thing, and it kind of goes back to that that depth thing that I was talking about earlier, and, and and the way that Mike Riley and the coaches are running the practice. They don't they don't want to take any unnecessary risks. Well. You you already have you know one of the usual suspects who's kind of banged up and I know they're being very cautious with the way that they kind of approach fall camp with a couple of those guys Michael Rose being one of them so yeah you you I guess you kind of have to if you're a Nebraska fan keep your fingers crossed for some of those guys and hope that it's it's nothing serious. Uh, because yeah, the, the depth at linebacker is improved, but he's one of those guys that I don't know that you can really afford to miss out. I mean, when he's off the field, um, you know, players on the defense last year talked about how there was some energy missing off the field and how he was somewhat of a leader and, uh, kind of a voice for that, that, that black shirt group. So, um, yeah, you, you gotta hope that, that some of these guys make it out of fall camp healthy, and it uh, can kind of make it through the season help, healthy and, and give this team maybe that little extra boost to get them over the hump.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we move it on to defensive storylines. Um, in the secondary, Robin, let's let's look at that group. I, I do think that has been one of the more impressive groups on the entire team in, in the little we've seen, not just with the veterans and Kalou and Chris Jones and Nathan Gary um, and even the Kyron Williams, Aaron Williams, uh, but I think the freshmen too. I mean, when you look at freshman class guys – they have added something to this group as well. And I'm very optimistic that you're going to see a big upgrade in the secondary.
3: Oh, I mean, immediately first guy that comes to mind when you think of freshman defensive backs, Lamar Jackson, I mean, that dude is about as well put together as I've seen a freshman cornerback in a long, long time. Uh, Obviously, you know, with, with any freshman that comes in, there's going to be a process of acclimating to this level. I mean, there's a lot that's, you know, put on a player's plate, especially, you know, with learning the coverage schemes of a new defense, but from a physical standpoint, this dude is everything that you know. people have cracked him up to be. You know, I, 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 Nate was right when he hyped him up all those all those months in his recruiting articles. I mean, this kid is the real deal, and Nebraska is going to have themselves a
2: dude uh, for the next few years. Nate, I'm going to throw another name out there. I mean, DiCaprio Boodle's one, but Markel DeSmuke, um, we got a little flavor of him at practice. I mean, he took Brian Reimers at the line of scrimmage, who's a lot taller and bigger, and just slammed him on the ground.
1: Yeah, Reimers is not a small guy by any means, and he's really added some good strength and and some muscle mass to his frame over this off season, especially. And Markel Dismuke and, and press coverage put Reimers right on his rear end, and and that was yeah, uh, you know, it was kind of eye opening to me because. Not because I, I didn't expect Markel Dismuke to be able to do that. I just have never seen him do that. He in in high school he was a safety and made an awful lot of plays in the in the secondary as a safety and as a wide receiver. But as a corner, he he stepped right in and and uh, you know this kid's got a bright future too.
2: No doubt plenty to talk about as we look at fall camp. Make sure you are on Husker Online. We will have coverage throughout the weekend as Nebraska will have an, another open practice for the media on Saturday. All right, when we come back, though, we're going to switch over to basketball. Tim Miles held an elite prospect camp on campus. Robin Washet was there. He's got some in-state names he wants to share and some other news nuggets that came out of that. All of that's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show, Nebraska in the midst of fall camp, as classes are still uh, about two weeks away from starting here at UNL, Robin. But uh, as we bring Robin Washington, we're going to shift over to some basketball discussion for Nebraska. Um... They held their elite prospect camp. Is this the first time that they've done something like this? No, they've actually had one
3: the last four years, but this is uh, the first time that they've uh, opened it up to to media to come watch. And so it's kind of like it's a similar format to you know Friday Night Lights camp, where they do skills and drills, have some games and and whatnot. But uh, you know about 150 kids. Uh, from not only around the state, but from around the region came up, uh, ranging anywhere from 2017 prospects all the way to incoming freshmen in the 2020 class. So if you really want to feel old, start uh, doing interviews with kids that uh, weren't even
2: born when you graduated high school. Did you have to be invited to attend this camp? Yeah, yeah. Well,
3: yeah. I mean, there there was kind of a, a clear line between kids that were, you know, priority uh, invitees and other kids that, you know, were were good enough, but, you know, kind of had to pay, you know, to, to get there. So it was a mix of, of talent there, you know, similar again to like what the football
2: camps are like. Well, let's break it down. I mean, you, you had a nice story this week on Husker Online going through some of the talent that was at this camp. Give Husker fans and listeners here an idea of just some of the names that you saw there at the camp this week.
3: Yeah, the big names, um, you know, I guess first and foremost, the one kid that uh, has a Nebraska offer in hand, uh, 2018 wing from Papillion La Vista, uh, Ed Chang. Um, You know, Nebraska fans have known about him for a long time now. Um, You know, he's held an offer since last winter, uh, you know, and continues to be, you know, right at, uh, you know, the top of Nebraska's priority list for the 2018 class Um, You know, we've been able to check in with him a couple times this summer um, at the, I talked to him a few weeks ago at the uh, Nebraska high school sports top 50 summer showcase and then saw him again. And he was arguably the best player on the court as you would expect. Um, You know, I mean, his length and athleticism make him such a unique prospect. Uh, the one knock I have on him, you know, from you know the last couple of times watching him is sometimes he just settles for his perimeter jump shot when, if he wanted to, he could drive to the hoop and dominate uh, at the rim, you know, as he pleased. So uh, he needs to work on his aggressiveness and you know being more physical at the rim. but uh, overall, you know, probably one of the best players there. and the guy that could probably rival him for that title the most. As uh, a three-star shooting guard in the 2018 class, and one of Ed's uh, AAU teammates with Mocan Elite, uh, Israel Barnes. Um, he's a kid from Wichita Southeast High School, uh, and uh, you know he's, he's made his second trip up to Lincoln. He visited this past winter for Nebraska's Ohio State home game for basketball, uh, and yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that Nebraska is you know well aware of, um, and is going to probably pick up some pretty high major offers. He only holds one offer from Tulsa. Uh, But I just did an update on him the other day and mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of other high majors uh, that are showing interest in him. As far as where he stands with Nebraska, it kind of depends on what happens with the remainder of this 2017 class. If they get a true shooting guard in 2017, they might not really have a need for Israel because he's he's not good enough, I don't think, to be a, a point guard at the Big Ten level. But he's a scorer, and if they don't get you know that scoring two guard in the seventeen class, uh, an offer will come right away, and he'll be one of the first guys they talk to because Nebraska's coaches are very high on him and think that he can be a legitimate prospect down the road.
2: And what are the numbers again for two thousand seventeen? As we talk basketball recruiting, they they have one commit, right? One yeah, one commit in Guoka uh, Rope from
3: Omaha South, and then one open spot right now, as it stands, uh, to to fill. But you know, you also got to keep in mind. You're basically a, an outlier if you don't have turnover on your roster with guys leaving, you know, one way or another. So, to think that they're only going to have one scholarship available, you know, by next spring, I think is you know, probably inaccurate. So the, they're probably looking at two, if not three, uh, spots to, to to fill, you know, going into the 2017 class.
2: I'm gonna throw another name out there. You mentioned Ed Chang, Robin, but there's an in-state player that wasn't at the camp, Teddy Allen mm-hmm. from Boys Town, and, and, you know, it's hard to say a Boystown guy is an in-state player because he's an out-of-state guy that moved here within the last year. Right. But he has as many major offers as we've seen since, you know, Akoya Gao and Mike Gazelle. And, and he's a name that I believe West Virginia, Cincinnati – Iowa State. Just got one from TCU earlier this week. So he he has picked up some big-time offers, but missing still in Nebraska and Creighton, the two local teams have not come in yet on him. What do you know about Teddy Allen? Being a Boys Town guy, he you know, doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the state of Nebraska or the programs here in the state. Um, so he's somewhat of an intriguing name right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, again, is high on Nebraska's radar. In fact, at the end of July, Tim Miles personally went down and watched one of his games uh, when he was playing with uh, the OSA uh, Crusaders AAU program at the Las Vegas, you know, one of the tournaments down there. And unfortunately, it happened to be the worst game by far he had of the entire weekend. You know, I mean, he still had 20 some points, but it was like 8 of 24 shooting with, you know, three or four turnovers and just did not have a good game. They were probably
2: feeding him the ball too, knowing that Miles was there to watch him. I mean, right. was- but.
3: He performed well enough over the course of that weekend, like you said, to get, you know, Iowa State, West Virginia, um, you know, DePaul, um, you know, Cincinnati, TCU. I mean, the high, you know, big name schools are coming at this kid where hard. He's now
2: the number one. He's he's in the ranking wise, I would say higher than a rope, right? I, now. I would say that too. And, and, you know,
3: again, it's hard to say because rope committed so early that kids or schools just aren't recruiting him. So I mean, it, you don't really know where he would be if he were uncommitted. But. Uh yeah so it's an interesting development to kind of see what happens with Nebraska um you know I mean they, they they watched him they wanted him to come to the Tim Miles Elite camp this past weekend but he couldn't make it cuz he was going back to Arizona uh, to be with his family because he hadn't seen him in a long time now. But yeah, it's it's interesting because you can't really label him as a true in-state kid. He moved to Lincoln, or I'm sorry, Omaha uh, last August uh, because his stepdad is from Nebraska and knew about Boys Town, uh, and they figured that would be a great place for him to help his grades because he admittedly was struggling academically uh, off the court, you know, living down in Arizona and, you know, moved here and seems to be doing Really well. I mean, he's going to take the ACT, you know, coming up here pretty soon. And that would, I think if he gets a good, you know, a good enough score and it gets the academic concerns out of the way, I think he does, that offer list is going to grow even more.
2: You know, I want to ask you too. you mentioned, uh, as we wrap it up here, talking basketball recruiting with Robin Wash at a rope. I mean, he's a guy, Robin, is he just six, four? Yeah, but six four, borderline six five. Am I wrong saying this? But when they took him as a freshman, did they think he was gonna maybe be a six seven, even six eight guy, um, just based on his wingspan? As he developed into that small forward kind of hybrid guy that they thought he was going to be at this point. Yeah, they
3: recruited him as a shooting guard, but yeah, they thought he would be you know closer to about six six range ideally, and that just hasn't happened. And uh, another issue, uh, you know, the knee injury. I think he really hasn't been the explosive type player that he was before that injury since then uh so yeah i mean obviously that's what happens when you gamble offering a kid you know in his sophomore year of high school Uh, i mean sometimes they don't pan out the way you hope but the good thing about uh, Aguuk is that he's still one of the hardest workers you're ever going to find. He's a relentless defender. He does have extremely impressive length, you know, with his wingspan. Uh, he's still an, a very good athlete, and, you know, he's a reason why he's considered one of, if not the best players in the state for 2017. So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, obviously you're kind of in a tough spot because you're a shooting guard that your biggest weakness is probably shooting. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he's as good of a defender as he is, you would obviously liked him to be more well-rounded. Yeah, He's not exactly Dan Marley. No, not at all. <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, again, it, it's kind of a tough situation. And so I, I would, I would highly doubt you know, Nebraska is going to change their tune with him just because that, I don't know, that, that seems kind of a shady way to go about it. And I don't think Tim Miles and staff would necessarily do that. But, uh, again, I don't think they're necessarily getting the type of player that they thought they were going to get two years ago when they offered and he
2: committed. All right, Well, we come back, we're going to close this show with Nate Klaus. is going to have a five-star visitor in this weekend, Joseph Lewis. We'll get his thoughts on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to
0: HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: Final segment here of the show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we wrap it up with some recruiting talk. And this is going to be a big recruiting weekend for Nebraska Nate. Uh, five-star wide receiver Joseph Lewis will be making his second trip to Lincoln. Uh, he was here earlier for the Friday Night Lights event um, in late June. And then he's scheduled to come back for a third trip um, for an official visit here uh, against Oregon. You never know that can be moved to Fresno State. But it goes back to our old theory that our friend Phil Amashian said years ago, you get that guy for the second trip, then the third trip. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive um, if Nebraska is able to get Joseph Lewis here two more times from now until the beginning of September.
1: Yeah, pretty much two more trips here in the next month, and uh, his second unofficial visit over the summer. He had planned on coming back um, to to Lincoln a few weeks ago, but unfortunately, with the the tragic loss of Sam Folds, decided to to cancel that visit. Now, will be in Lincoln with two of his coaches, uh, the head coach and his brother, uh, to be specific this weekend, and and that's that's a, a huge visit because. He's wanting to see how comfortable he feels. Uh, he obviously has a great relationship with Keith Williams. He wants to be around the team, wants to be around on campus, around the city of Lincoln a little bit more, and and if you know Nebraska can impress these coaches too. That's that'd be huge because this is a school that's producing five star and Joseph Lewis this year, five star in Jalen Hall next year, uh, and then their 2019 class has a couple kids who could potentially be five star type prospects. So Nebraska could you know open up some sort of pipeline here. That would uh, that would be uh, it would basically send shock through through the college football recruiting world
2: yeah and when you bring him here on campus what do you think nebraska is going to do with him he's coming friday and saturday is that right
1: yeah he's he's arriving friday and will be leaving sunday so he's got pretty much the entire weekend to, to be around the team i think he'll be sitting in a lot of a lot of meetings he'll be going to practice he's he's met with a lot of the academic people and and uh you know he's taking the tour and everything i think for the most part, this is just another opportunity for him to bond with the coaching staff, be able to to see a little bit more of Lincoln. I'm sure... Uh, Joseph and his coaches will be going down, um, you know, probably checking out the rail yard, checking out downtown Lincoln, just to see what what it's like to be a college student at Nebraska, and, and really to see if a, a kid from inner city Los Angeles can feel comfortable in a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, for the next you know three, four, five years.
2: If you're pairing him up with guys, I mean, who do you want Joseph Lewis to hang around with this weekend in Lincoln?
1: Well, I think ideally you'd probably would look to to pair him up with uh, maybe a kid or two from California. I know that he's very close with Patrick O'Brien. They played on the same seven on seven team um, last year when when Patrick was uh, playing for B two G Elite, and and then I would say you know a guy like Stanley Morgan is is always uh, you know. Seems to be one of those players that that is hosting some of the, the bigger wide receivers that come onto campus for Keith Williams. I think uh, Stanley Morgan is obviously a young guy that played right away as a true freshman. Uh, and has a very bright future as a football player, as a wide receiver at Nebraska and beyond. So, um, And he's got a great personality. He seems to connect with everybody. So uh, I'm sure it won't be just one or two guys. It'll be a number of guys, but for sure, Patrick O'Brien, Stanley Morgan will be involved here.
2: We're talking recruiting storylines with Nate Klaus, as Nebraska will host Joseph Lewis this week. But, Nate, Nebraska did also get a big-time commit, really out of nowhere in a lot of respects. Guy Thomas, a four-star defensive end out of Booker T. Washington in Miami, um, commits to the Oscars um, earlier this week. And, you know, I I don't think this was on the radar for a lot of people. Um, How did this play out and how did it happen?
1: It's pretty fascinating because it's not too often that a four-star defensive end or any four-star player out of Miami – with offers from the big three in-state schools, you know, Florida, Florida State, Miami, just commits to Nebraska's sight unseen. And this is a guy that, that Nebraska had been involved with. He was obviously on the radar um, and, and everyone kind of knew that they'd like to add him, but his commitment came as a complete shock because the last time that, that really he'd done any interviews, he said that he was getting ready to kind of narrow things down, you know, heading into his senior season. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, he calls up Nebraska and wants to commit and, and, and they were surprised too he told me that when he talked with them they're really fired up but they asked him several times hey are you sure this is what you want to do are you are you're, you're completely done with recruiting you know you're sure you're wanting to make this commitment and he said yes and and I asked him why um you know why he wanted to commit now and and how he knew he wanted to be done with the recruiting process and he said you know I just felt like Nebraska – there wasn't another school that could beat Nebraska and could beat Coach Perella. And it's it's the the tradition um, that Nebraska has, everything that they they could do for their student athletes. But more than anything, it was that relationship that he had built with Coach Perella um, is – a relationship that goes far beyond just football but but the the football aspect of it was that the fact that John Perella played in the NFL for 12 years and and Guy Thomas has full trust in in Perella being able to to get the very best out of him and preparing him for that next level I think it's just all that all that combined that that made him want to commit to Nebraska right now and shut things down.
2: Is this going to be one though Nate where we're going to worry about it all year where all of a sudden on some football Saturday in the press box, we're going to see a tweet of him <laughs> at stadium a or B <laughs> doing like that team's signed on Twitter or something. I mean, are, are you confident that, you know, this one's going to play out or is it too hard to read right now?
1: You know, it, it's hard to read. I think you, you can never be, you know 100% com- confident with anything in recruiting these days you always you know it's, it's almost like sometimes you have to recruit the kids that are committed to you even harder than than the kids that haven't committed anywhere yet because uh, you you have to keep those guys in the boat and there's always some vultures out there that other schools that are always going after these guys regardless of their status and, and that's going to be the case here there's going to be other schools that continue to recruit him he obviously lives right down the street from from Coral Gables there it could make it to Miami anytime he wanted to um, you know his his brother was uh, you know committed to Florida State was a five-star recruit out of high school committed to Florida State um, you know so it, there there's going to be some some uh, you know I guess some some moments where you have to sweat things out a little bit but I he, he spoke with conviction about his commitment to Nebraska said he wasn't planning on taking any other visits or anything and uh, and Nebraska has a good track record here. I mean, you look back at, at a guy like Quayshawn Alexander last year.
2: Greg Simmons.
1: Greg Simmons. I mean, these guys are are players. Uh, you know, from Greg Simmons was right there from the Miami area. Quayshawn Alexander from from New Jersey. You know. You know, had a bunch of t- other teams after him and, and even took some visits. But Nebraska was able to hold on to these guys. And, and that's something you haven't seen in the past. I feel like with the previous staff, you, you'd they would offer a kid and, and get a commitment. And, and sometimes when it was a surprising commitment, you could pretty much write that kid off that, that there's going to be a, a bigger team that came in to, to swoop them up. Or, or that kid was going to just eventually flip sooner or later. But Nebraska's had a, tr- a good track record of keeping these guys in the
2: boat. Lastly, as we wrap it up with Nate Klaus, so that's two defensive ends, Robert Porsche, Guy Thomas, uh, DeAndre Thomas, a defensive um, tackle in this class. What do you see on the defensive line now with three in the class – as a JUCO defensive end, I know Nebraska's offered a guy from Iowa Western, a four-star. Um, I don't know where they stand with him. He's a kid from eastern Iowa. Usually those kids always end up going to Iowa. Um, but do you have high hopes for them to land a JUCO or another defensive end, or where do they go from here?
1: Well, yeah, Andrew Van Ginkle is the the kid from Iowa Western that, that Nebraska's offered. And actually I think they have a pretty good shot at, at landing him. Yeah, he's narrowed things down to Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin. And I feel like if he was a lock for the Hawkeyes, that he would have done you know would have made that commitment already because he's kind of a no-nonsense guy um does not like the recruiting process doesn't like to do interviews or or talk too much about, you know, how things are going for him recruiting-wise. So um, he will be he will be visiting Nebraska. Uh, they are going to continue to pursue him. But, um, you know, there's a couple DNs like Andrew Van Ginkle that if they can get him, uh, Nebraska is going to add him into the boat. But uh, I see them ideally taking two more D tackles in this class. Um, I think Damian Daniels is a kid that you have to keep an eye on. He just lined up his official visit to Nebraska for the Fresno State game. Uh, ben Hutch, uh, Tyler Shelvin, the five-star out of uh, out of Louisiana, is another another kid to to really keep an eye on. So the uh, Noah Ellis too, out of Colorado, another D tackle, a big nose tackle there to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I see them, though, adding two more guys, two or three more guys along that D-line, and it all kind of depends on on the numbers, how things kind of shake out, and what positions these guys play in terms of will it be, uh, you know, three D-ends and two D-tackles or three D-tackles and two D-ends.
2: All right, well, thanks a lot, Nate, and um, lots to follow here on Recruiting as Joseph Lewis will be in this weekend. Make sure you follow Nate, Mike Mattia, Brian Munson, and the entire Husker Online recruiting staff as we will have full coverage of that as he will be a part of things here in Lincoln. Well, that wraps it up here for uh, another edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.